in one age, called the Third Age by some. An age yet to come. An age long past. A wind rose on the Geek at Arms podcast. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. Welcome to Woolheads, a Wheel of Time podcast by Geek at Arms. I'm Brian, and here's a man that I think surely must be Taviran. It's James. The light loom you, Brian. And you as well, James. One last episode. And yeah, we're still going to spoil things, so if you haven't read the books, or if it's been so long that you don't remember what happened, this isn't the podcast for you. No, it is not. So let's go. Do we live time? Uno! Uno! Yes! Uno returns! Who cares about <laughs> the dragon reborn? The dragon what? It's the return of Uno! <laughs> But in all actuality, it's uh, episode eight. K Sarah Sarah, what was meant to be. Yes. The season finale is appropriately epic in scope. And while there are a few omissions and maybe a couple of missteps, I think it more than makes up for the previous episode. Oh, in spades. I, I had a couple of points of Copland talk, but we'll get to those in a bit. But overall, highly, highly satisfied. Not that the season finale of the first season wasn't epic in its own way. It had its parts. This one, though, tied a lot of disparate threads together in ways that I did not envision, honestly. Mm -hmm. But then again, we've established that my future casting is completely off the rails. So <laughs> they pulled it well, all together I... and, and they did so in a, you know what? I was just happy. I was happy, but go mm -hmm. ahead. One of my theory, theory crafts was actually paid off. I can't remember what it was. I wrote it down, and now I, I didn't transfer it into my other notes. Oh, uh, Ingtar, not a dark friend. Yeah. I had a feeling. <laughs> but uh, production, hair and makeup, I think, really deserve an award for this season. I agree completely. Um, I still think Lanfear's eye makeup is a little over the top, but there's so much good stuff happening with hair in this show that I really hope that they at least get an Emmy, Emmy nomination, if not a win for it. Especially for costuming. Um Mm -hmm. I made a point that I really liked the costuming that they have for the Soldom and the Demane. I'm not I'm not sold on the weird shoulder thing in their their battle costuming. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's up. I don't I mean. Either, I guess it prevents know, them it, from sitting down. It kind of grew on me. First, it looked like it grew on them, too. <laughs> if someone was looking at some early sketches from H.R. Geiger and thought, you know what? Look, <laughs> that would look good in a ladies' overdress. Um, I liked it. I liked the battle makeup uh, for when they were mm. going into battle. It felt very tribal and confrontational and predatory. And, yeah, it definitely uh, does that. Mm -hmm. I think they deserve an Emmy nod for special effects for this season. Mm -hmm. I especially liked how 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 easily quickly and efficiently we see the forsaken channel over your standard Aes Sedai. Right. Very small motions of the hand. Like when Lanfear doesn't even raise her, her hands above her elbows yeah. ever. When Moraine was opening the ways, she there's this whole song and dance and swelling of music, this beautiful pattern of the of the weaves that she made to open it. Lanfear <laughs> just cool Trinity just, not. Yeah yeah Lanfear just, you know, holds open her index finger and her thumb, and you see <laughs> all of that miniaturized between her fingers in an instant. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of really big and impressive weaving effects in this one, uh, particularly from Moraine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, 
new renewed water bond was was really cool. Her physical performance to support both that and her attack on the Denon. Denome, Demane. Demanana. Sorry, continue. Oh, we're off the rails. <laughs> Just some of Geek at Arms, you know, is now blending and flowing over into double heads. <laughs> but, uh, but her physical performance to support both of those was top notch, mm-hmm. especially that that ending stance that she was in when she got finished wrecking the Demane ships. Mm, yeah. I really liked that a lot. I also want to point out that the music in both of those moments was particularly good and blended with what was happening in the scene very well. You know, I when I went to watch it a second time, I thought, I'm going to really pay attention to the music this time because I've been, I've been ignoring the music. I got too caught up in everything else, and I still ignored it right up until <laughs> the, the closing credits when there's nothing else happening. It's like, oh, yeah. This is cool music. <laughs> but if, when you go back to watch it a third time, pay special attention to where Landon Moraine's um, bond is being renewed and the fight on the beach where Lan is absolutely owning it. And yes. Moraine is doing this beautiful weave dance and stance. Uh, yet the, the music was very well tailored for those scenes. I will try, but I imagine I'm just going to get caught up in it again. And- <laughs> I was I was so emotionally moved, particularly in the rebonding. Mm-hmm. Just the they're just standing there looking at each other, and, and just like just leaning in, and just the Lance's face doesn't move, and yet you still feel what he's feeling. It was they're so good. Yeah, it was very good. As far as production, I wrote everything when the horn is blown. <laughs> I enjoyed yes. it all. I loved how. Um, Matt is giving some of his best performance in this season um, Mm -hmm. is running with the horn and he sees a whole just column, huge group of Sianchan soldiers. He blows it. Time slows. They all appear around him. And I'm like, they are just wonderfully distinct and unique. I'm like, there's Arthur Hawkwing. Mm. Oh, and there's, uh, I can't remember any of their names. It's been too long. The the one with the bow. And so, yeah. Brigitte. And and Brigitte, thank you. And most important, Uno! (laughs) I wonder if he's meant to be Geidel Kane, because he was fighting with two swords at one point. That he was. Um, And he's terribly ugly. Yeah. Of course, in the books, Geidel Kane had already been spun back out into a small boy. Um, no, he hadn't. He, I thought he had. Geidel- I thought it had been established that the young boy who tags along with Matt's red hand uh, no. was was Geidel Kane reborn. Uh, I, I think he might might have been, but Geidel Kane was at the Battle of Falm, and he was spun out sometime between then and when Nynaeve and Elaine encountered Brigida in Teleron Riode. Okay. Well, no, he was still in there the first time Nynaeve talked to Brigida because he appeared just as his shadow uh, and and told her that she was being foolish. I believe that you are right. But for some reason, I thought that, once again, way too many years since I've read these books. Yeah. Just the way that they described the young boy and the fact that I, he, was, he was an apt hand at learning sword fighting and that he was as ugly as the back end of a dog. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I he might have been Geidel Kane mm-hmm. because time get, it's, there's a timey-wimey thing going on with the world of dreams. Yeah. So I'm, I still theorize that Olver was Geidel Kane, even though Olver. the timing doesn't seem to work. 
Thank you. That was his name. Oliver. <laughs> Uh, but I, I'm also totally invested in the idea that Uno has got Kane too. I am 100% behind that. But I'd also be happy if we find out that um, Uno isn't Kane, but through his actions as a hunter for the horn, he was accepted as a new hero of the horn. Hey, he didn't really do all that much. You shut your mouth, Brian. You shut it <laughs> right now. I'm not having that talk on this podcast. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But we get some beautiful fighting um, from the heroes of the horn. And I'm sure that if you want to find out who they all all are, friends, uh, someone on YouTube will have gone through the entire lineup <laughs> and told you who they are. And I, I think it had been hilarious if like half of the Sianshan soldiers had you know looked at the guy in front and goes, hey, w- wait, isn't that? <laughs> wait, aren't you the boss? Aren't you? <laughs> You look really familiar. I think I've seen 50-foot portraits of you in the royal palace. You know, I never thought about that before. Shouldn't they all have just swapped sides as soon as they saw him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you must defeat uh, him. Well, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, high lady. There's one problem. What? And in walks Arthur Hawkwing. <laughs> <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's all this then? The only other one that I recognized was Amerasu, and she was the the one that I don't know why Matt gave her the horn. And you notice it disappeared the second that he did. Yeah, she just poofed it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of confused me. I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, because it's also needed at the last battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to need that thing again. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. What did you think about the design of the horn? It didn't bother me. Um, I was prepared to hate it. Um, <laughs> as long as it didn't come out looking like a French horn, I was going to be okay. I, the, the, what it was going to look like has worried me a little bit, but I also decided that that's not that big of a, a deal that I should be so worried about it. So mm. I, I liked the effect of when it was blown, the noise that it made, the, yeah, that was the, cool. the, the um, you could almost see the sound waves coming out of it. Um, that part was more important to me than how it looked itself. I looked around to to see if I could find some other example of a musical instrument that looked like that. It doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. It actually looked a little bit more like an Erlenmeyer flask than anything. Yeah, see, it it looks like a pitcher that you can get at Pottery Barn. Yeah. But I was like, I guess that might have made noise. It's got those vents on it. Okay. It was very peculiar, though. Yes. But I'm okay but with you know, that. It's magic. Who it's, cares? Exactly. It's magic. <laughs> it brings dead people back to life. So uh, it did its job, however it mm-hmm. looks like, or oh, whatever it looks like. Um, so uh, my final note is about the dragon itself. And no, not Rand. I'm talking about the actual dragon at the end. <laughs> um, I don't remember what the scene was at the end. I believe there actually was a physical banner that was flown some uh, from some uh, tower. But I liked the idea of Moraine creating an actual fiery dragon, wrapped itself around the tower, and gave out a mighty roar. Yeah. I thought that that was visually appealing, and I thought the effect was cool. I liked that it actually had a voice. <laughs> and uh, for all intents and purposes for this show, nicely done. Yeah, it was definitely a lot more dramatic than what was described in the book, which was cool and all, but it was like, 
it required a lot of weirdnesses to say everybody can see Ishamael and Rand fighting in the sky and there's an image of the the dragon banner behind him it's like it just seemed a little weird and contrived this seemed a lot more plausible <laughs> completely agreed speaking of weird and contrived shall we head to Copland talk I'll kick it off with I don't like ruthless Nynaeve the Eamons fielders all share these have these shared values of mercy and respect for life it's it's part of what defines them culturally and as protagonists and Egwene's experience as a Damani is what threatens to turn her down a dark road. While I totally believe that Nynaeve would torture somebody if it's necessary, and she does in the books, she's much more conflicted and disgusted with herself for it. And I didn't see any of that hesitation or personal struggle in her with the way she treated Sita. I saw it a little different. Now, true, the likes of Egwene and all of them, these are right down to it, they're good people. Mm-hmm. More so than any of the rest, I see Nynaeve as, I'm not going to call her a mother hen, because that does her a disservice if she is like a mother bear. No, not even a mother bear yet. She's a mother wolf. Do not mess with her cubs. And in this case, she has been wrung out, is in a panicky moment, and knows that her pup is in danger and is... God knows what is happening to her, especially the one that she feels the closest to, Egwene. Mm-hmm. I mean, more so than any of them, um, I think she she has sacrificed the most and cares the most about Egwene. And the, the city is going to um, hell in a handbasket. And this is a woman who is out of patience, is out of ideas, and is out of time. And it... That that line that she said, I will make you regret the day your mother ever kissed your father. Ruthless. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of liked it a little bit. <laughs> that probably says more about me than the character. But yeah. I saw determination. Whether or not she would actually follow through with it, who knows. But out of all of the Edmonds fielders who have left their village... She is the one who is going to do what she has to do to protect the people that she loves and who she feels responsible for. Now, true, they've been scattered across the map, but I always saw Nynaeve throughout most of the books that she never gave up feeling responsible mm-hmm. for the for for the ones younger than her, for her for her kids, Matt, Rand, Perrin, and Egwene. Yeah, and and like I said, I totally believe that she would go to the wall. But, you know, we see Elaine's response to this, how uncomfortable she was with what was happening. I just wish we had seen some indication that Nynaeve felt guilt over the lines that she's crossing. I hear you. And to top it off, that plan didn't even contribute anything to the victory. Nope. You know, studying the Idom, Ryman Basson's defeat, capturing the Suldom, none of that stuff mattered. No, it didn't. Unless one of the Shanchan who escaped just happened to notice the Suldam walking around wearing a thing. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it got Elaine shot in the leg. Mm -hmm. I think that we are at the the whole side block of Nynaeve's block. I'm done with it. It should have. (laughs) This should have been handled episodes ago. Well, I'm afraid that you're going to have to keep putting up with it through at least what uh, Lord of Chaos or something like that. 
<laughs> Did it last that long in the books? It lasted forever. She didn't break through it until uh, they went to Ibu Dar for looking for the Bowl of the Winds. Was that book four or five? It's like book six. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, was, it took so long for her to get, get over that. But it's like I, I appreciated the end of season one a lot because they gave pieces of the victory to each of the characters. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, spreading the glory around. And they did that to some, some extent here where, yeah. once again, Rand didn't do everything. Rand did almost nothing. But, um, but particularly Nynaeve and Elaine, I was disappointed that everything that they did in the last half of the show didn't affect the outcome. Yeah. It, it kind of, it cheapens all the, the pain, the suffering, and the fear that they went through to get there. Mm-hmm. And I wish that Rand had arrived at the top of the tower either five minutes earlier or five minutes later. Yeah, seriously. Popping out right after, it's like, oh, dude, just like 45 seconds. <laughs> and you could have you could have made your contribution here. But it's like I, I kind of wish there had been another scene in between. Mm-hmm. But oh, well, the, the payoff of it was Egwene facing down with the Shawmail. And I'm totally behind that. Oh, same here. Um, 100%. In fact, that's in my happy, the changes in the pattern. Egwene, uh, going toe to toe with Ishi. Well, first off, freeing herself. Mm -hmm. Um, the whole collaring Rena, figuring out, uh, the secret of that the, uh, the Soldam can actually channel. They're just completely weak at it. And I kind of feel like there should have been like a terrible feedback loop with both of them wearing the IDOM and the, the uh, bracelet. It's like yeah, punch her in the face. The other one feels it. And then O'Grain feels it. And then she feels it. And they just, their heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the movie just turns into scanners. And <laughs> that's, that's the computer scientist in me thinking, no, you can't do that. <laughs> well, I had the same thought too, but I, I figured they just plot waved that away. Yeah. So that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. It made for a cool dramatic scene. It did. And Egwene getting her own back. So I don't mind it, but I just, that was the first thing that popped into my head was, wait, that's a really bad idea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A little bit like Lanfear traveling out of the ways. Really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. But her standing up to Ishii, was it in the books? Nope. Was it awesome to behold? Absolutely. (laughs) And after everything she's been through, she... Okay, she already had her hero moment with freeing herself from Rena. But to give her an additional hero moment, standing up to a forsaken and holding her own, you get an mm-hmm. applause from me. Well done. Especially since all we've seen Ishi do. Actually, we've seen this with a lot of the forsaken. Whenever they want someone docked down or taken out, boom, quick weave of air. We have a bear there. We have a bear here. We have a, we have a bear for everyone. <laughs> Considering the unlimited possibilities that are available through the one power, all the different weaves, I'm getting tired of them of just using the same effect. Oh, yeah. This is the same complaint I had about uh, Jackson's Lord of the Rings when you had Gandalf and Sauron and these two ancient wizards, angelic beings fighting with each other, and it all comes down to telekinesis this is not a wizard battle <laughs> staff break dance <laughs> like sword in the stone that's a wizard battle 
or at least give us, you know, Voldemort versus uh, Dumbledore. That was a cool one. That was a cool one. But yeah, the the constant. I'm just going to knock you down with a blast of air. I guess it's it's easy and yeah. it's well. We it's see familiar. We see Leandrin do it. We see Lanfear do it. We see Ishi do it. It's the go-to move and also the go-to effect. Whenever they mm-hmm. want to take down a couple of people at once, and, uh, and maybe it's just like really low energy. It's very easy to do. Just a flick of the wrist. When Guardian Leviosa. Oh wait, sorry, wrong series. <laughs> so I, I like the the little little fire arrows that he used though, and Rand used them too. I like that as well. We get to see Rand do actual another instance of him doing actual making something with his weaves and not just mm-hmm. channeling pure energy or fire. Yeah. Speaking of that though, uh, as much as I miss getting to see the sword fight. I like that change to the duel because Rand was definitely not ready. No. So I like that he just Indiana Jonesed it. I, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm, I'm back and forth. I loved that he just took out a couple dozen guys with the cool fire knives. I'm like, yay, I like that effect. But it's the same effect that we saw with Siun in the last episode. Just now it's with a guy. And... I really would have enjoyed a duel between Rand and Turok. And I think that we yeah, should have gotten we... a duel. I know Rand doesn't have the training for it. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not, in the books, he could hold his own for a few. TV show Rand, not even close. Um, but mm-hmm. that whole, like, the let's see what a, a... I see you have a heron-marked blade. Let us see what a blade master on this side of the ocean can do or what he's worth. That line was wasted here. Mm-hmm. But it was it was kind of humorous because it reminded me of the the Indiana Jones scene. Oh yeah, with the <laughs> whip and sword. Nope, you're gonna see a gun. <laughs> um, one thing that did bother me, and this was at the beginning. So, just three Aiel out on a morning walk, just <laughs> heads held high, just walking towards the city like we do. Seriously, they're just gonna stroll right up to the front gates. And then they just keep right on strolling through the city. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come, well, come on. Come on, guys. That, is, that does not do these warrior women justice. What would you expect? Because the, the Shanchan don't care who comes in and out. As long as you say, oh, yeah, obey, 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 and serve. Sure, whatever. They just let you walk in. Do they know that? Perrin does. It just seemed a little too nonchalant to me. Yeah, I can see that. But speaking of Perrin... This gripe, a serious gripe, is, is, is going to be summed up in one word. Hopper. Mm, I don't remember when or how Hopper died in the books. I know he died fairly early. And on top of that, he's killed by an axe. Mm. And we see two really cool-looking axes in this episode. And... Neither one of them go with parent. I feel like at this point they're just doing the writers are doing it to us on purpose. That being said, though, I thought it was a cool effect where Hopper gets killed and we see like his spirit float up out of his body for a sad, heartfelt moment. But like, oh, you killed Hopper. Well, uh, well, uh, General Carradine, you you just signed your own death warrant. <laughs> because parents about parent is about to go John Wick on you. Yeah. 
I saw I saw this it happening like and you see the axe in the background on and I'm just I'm literally shouting at my TV, the axe! The axe <laughs> Finally Yeah. But speaking of interesting weapons, what do you think about Matt and his new pole dagger? I'm torn. On the one hand, I like that first I like his problem solving. He's like, I'm not touching that knife, but it's too useful not to use it. So I'm going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I like that he's got his uh, his bladed staff, although in the books that comes much later. Um, and but... also, if he touches the blade, it won't curse him. <laughs> right. Um, this this is kind of belongs in my theory crafting. I'm wondering, does he keep the staff? Does he still have to be broken away from it by the Aes Sedai. I, I don't know how this is going to go. I had kind of seen that he was already broken away from it, but even if he had, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's still basically an addict. Um, mm-hmm. Like someone who was addicted to drugs, went through rehab. There's always going to be the, the desire, the, the inner voice inside of him saying, go back to it. But it's up to his willpower and his, and his strength not to, um, I wasn't yeah. sure how I felt about them bringing the dagger back into play. I felt like we were, you know, one step forward, two spec, two steps back with Matt. Um, like you said, I loved his problem solving. It sh- this really shows what a clever dude Matt can be as someone who thinks outside the box. Um, mm. th- that that's what his character is all about. And once again, I liked the music. Um, during this scene, felt very. MacGyverish. <laughs> again, I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. <laughs> I was paying too much attention to the window. <laughs> that's, I guess that's my thing in this show is, is windows. Is, is that what we should have named the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> windows, a wheel of time story. <laughs> in this episode, we'll take a look at the four to five different varieties that we saw in Tar Valen. See, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to write a paper on it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, when the fact that he did take a staff and wrapped the blade around it, uh, or wrapped the blade to it, tied the blade to it. It doesn't seem like a real sturdy weapon. That's exactly what I was about to say. My first thought was, that's not going to hold, my man. I hope they that this is... did at least have a notch. Yeah. I hope that this is not his a quote-unquote hero weapon or permanent mm-hmm. weapon because I really liked how he gets it in the book, the story and the sacrifice that he has to make to get it, and also his bladed staff comes with another little trinket that serves him very well, mm-hmm. is essential to his character later, and uh, it's also one that is a danger to him and everyone around him. Like what yeah. if what, he was what if treating there... it very uh, lackadaisically, you know, yeah. just trotting around, waving this thing like, oh, if this touches you, you're going to die horribly. But like, oh, whatever. Oh, Matt, where's your where's your staff? Oh, I, 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 I keep it under the bed now. I walked through the kitchen and I killed three people. <laughs> it's, it's my fault for going in during the dinner rush. <sighs> but there was so much more that I really did enjoy about this episode. Mm-hmm. Even from right at the I, at the beginning, when we got the uh, the ceiling of Ishmael, mm, yeah, again more uh, 
more backstory on him and Luce Theron was was nice to see. And I loved the fact that the entire scene was done in the old tongue. Mm -hmm. Gave it that sense of ancient history. Um, and it's, it's purely you, because they did, it was all in subtitles. Um, like, ooh, subtitles. <laughs> this must be from the past. Fancy. Mm -hmm. It's like a foreign film. <laughs> <laughs> what do you suppose those things are that they have on their hands? We've only seen them on Lanfear and Ishmael. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought it was just an affectation, uh, just a piece of age of legend fashion that he is keeping up because, you know, he is the type of person that would think that everything was better in the past. <laughs> um, but then we see all of the male Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends wearing one as well. So mm -hmm. I think it was either a a symbol of status, much akin to the what the 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 rings that the female Aes Sedai wear today, or it might have been a type of Terangriel. That's what I was wondering. Is speculating about is it might might have been a Terangriel. It obviously isn't an, just an Angriel because then. Ishmael and Lanfear both having them would make them incredibly strong. Yes. Particularly since what have, what have happened to the one that uh, Rand had? He had it when he was fighting Ishmael. I don't remember where what became of it. I forgot that he had one last season. Yeah. I mean, he carried it around for a long time in uh, in the books. Mm -hmm. uh, he found it in Ruidian. I've forgotten. But then again, so I had forgotten that his sword got melted, stabbing Ishi in the chest. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad they kept that. Um, although I would have liked, it would have hit harder had we seen him use the sword. Yeah. And if Ishamel hadn't just stood there, oh, here he comes. Oh, look, he has a sword out. I'm just going to stand here. <laughs> what was that all about? Seriously, the look is like, oh, please. You're loose there. What are you going to do? Stab me with a... Uh. <laughs> Uh, and I was when I when I saw him confronting Turok, and I saw, oh, hey, he actually does have a heron on the handle, so that's how he's going to get branded. I'd never noticed it before. Yeah, neither had I. But then he actually grabs the 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 blaze, like, well, you don't do that with a katana. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I am going to say I am kind of glad that we did not get a Rand Turok fight because the weird herky-jerky movements that he was doing with both the sword and his fingernails all over the yeah. place would have made the fight comical to me. Yeah. I don't I don't see that fight having gone in any way satisfactorily. <laughs> I, I could have seen the second one of those nails gets chopped off, you're like, I, I must, I must, I must banish myself until I am, I am, <laughs> until, uh, no one look at me and, and, until I am, I am presentable again. Uh, uh, don't look at me, don't look at me. Uh, and Rand's just standing there like, the heck? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> the one guy still stabs himself. My high lord has been dishonored. <laughs> Rand's yeah, just right. like, I am so confused. He looked a little, uh, bewildered at that point anyways like i deliberately spared your life because you didn't have a weapon yeah, okay whatever dude <laughs> yeah seriously we touched on land and moraine and mm -hmm. um I, I i loved that scene between them on the beach that oh, was amazing yes um, that scene it 
it needed to happen. It really did. For everything that those two have gone through in this season, uh, a rift had been created. And I love what Moraine told him. You know, when I said that we were unequal, it's because you were so much greater than I am. Yeah. I, I kind of suspected that's what she was going to, where that was going to be headed when she first said it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know she was going to get quite that sentimental. I thought, figured, well, you're a king and I'm only, you know, like a duke, a duchess or something. So, yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, it was very nice. It was. Um, the, the healing needed to be there because as we said at the beginning, spoilers, friends, uh, the break between them is coming. But till then, those two need to be unified. Mm -hmm. And such a great fight scene on the beach as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Showing this is what a warder is. Yes. Taking out a couple of dozen Sianchan, catching arrows midair, and then <laughs> stabbing them into another opponent. Come on. <laughs> and there was kind of this thing that you could see on his face. He's like, okay, I've got this arrow. I'm not going to waste it. How? Which of these guys should I stick it in? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> and this was the Moraine's weaving in this, the, the range at which she was doing it and the, the power she was exhibiting. This is like way beyond anything that we've seen anybody, even the Forsaken, we haven't seen them do something at this scale yet. And Lan even mentions, you're faster than you were before. <laughs> I, I did like the callback to her carrying water up the hill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I also had that thought as she's, she seems happier and she seems mm -hmm. more powerful than she was before being shielded. Yeah. So I guess maybe she was trying to push through the block all that time and just built up her one power muscles. There you go. <laughs> but I mean, that was like what a mile, two miles away. And she's sending water fire weaves underwater. And she's creating a it, it, basically she creates now. Now, kids, let's follow the bouncing fireball <laughs> and takes down a small fleet with it. And I see. I thought the the amount of distance a person could channel was due to their sight line and individual strength. Like the further the further out you go, the weaker the weaves get. Mm -hmm. But I mean, she was just. She was a powerhouse in that moment. I was. I remember just reading something about an Aes Sedai. Oh, no, it was one of the Ashaman who was convinced he couldn't affect anything far away from him. So he had this range of about 30 feet, and then his power fell off significantly. And it was just completely in his mind. Um, so maybe the Aes Sedai, maybe most channelers have a similar block that that's really far away. I don't think I can hit it from a, from here. So maybe she just pushed through something that uh, some artificial limitation. Maybe not having the power for so long when she gets it back, <laughs> she's got a, a fresh new perspective. I mean, any, any mental block that she would have had would have been forgotten. <laughs> or, you know, she was just storing it up all that time. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, if I don't channel for four months, I can do something really impressive. It's like when Iron Man gets hit by Thor. Yeah. <laughs> Power levels at 135%. <laughs> oh, um, I do love it when we do see um, historically accurate or semi-accurate uh, technology in shows like this. And um, when we see them in use, 
I about stood up and yelled, trebuchet! <laughs> <laughs> yep, I appreciated those too. It hit one thing, threw it again, trebuchet! Every, every time it fired, I wanted to yell, trebuchet! Because <laughs> it was useful and it was effective. I love mm-hmm. the fact that when it hit the top of that tower, okay, nothing would have exploded in a fireball unless, like, maybe one of the um, girls was channeling at that exact moment. But just the fact that the, the the blunt impact and shockwave from it, and also the 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 shrapnel, the stone shrapnel created by it, just made an absolute mess of the top of that tower. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful to behold. See, I think maybe the Damani prepare for battle by drinking gasoline. Lots of fire, firepower. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. <laughs> that that's what the mouth guards are for, so they don't burp. <laughs> One girl burps, they all go up. Solved. <laughs> we figured out the magic binky puzzle. <laughs> I did like Egwene just spatters out on the floor. <laughs> Well, we are over the time that we normally allot for this thing. I'm having a lot of fun, though. So am I. Um, my last uh, change in the pattern that I really loved was the reunification of Matt and Perrin. That was such mm-hmm. a great scene. Yes. Matt, I'm not Matt, Perrin, uh, the Aiel, and, uh, and Loyal and others, they're looking down this alleyway. They hear screams. They're just smoke. Uh, and dust coming from the, in, in the in the area in front of them, you know they uh, get. Uh, Avienda says, "Get ready," and they pull their masks up. The music swells, and running as fast as he can, almost as goofily as he can, is Matt. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, Baron, Matt. <laughs> I love a scene that's so skillfully pulls the rug out from under you. Mm-hmm. And it totally did that for me. I had to go back and watch it four times because <laughs> of how great Matt was running into sc- onto, onto the screen. <laughs> and there, again, their reunification was so honest. It, real. And, 100% and real. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is another thing that this new... Matt is doing so well. You, 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 nothing is guarded with him. You see his emotions on his face. Yes, I love um, him so much. Same here, and he's just so so happy to see Perrin, and Perrin is as well. I mean, they just they grab onto each other, and it looks like for a moment that they just don't want to stop hugging. <laughs> but they're like, no, Matt no, Rand needs us. Um, and also, there's a bunch of guys chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Uh, they're friends. I hope they can fight. <laughs> well, uh, the season is wrapped up. Mm-hmm. So, um, do do we even dare <laughs> make predictions for the for season three? I have two. Okay. The first is I think they're going to skip the redstone doorways. We talked about this, alluded to this earlier, mm-hmm. but. Matt's getting his memories unlocked by encountering the heroes and then, and the tea, whatever that was about. And he's got, he's maybe has the staff and the, with the blade. So I think that they're going to skip the redstone doorways. I might be wrong, but uh, that's my prediction. And also uh, we saw one of the, 
the uh, figureheads on the Shanchan ships had a three-eyed monster on it. So I'm hoping maybe that they're going to allocate some special effects money for uh, showing us the Grolm in the future. I missed that. I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, it's like just at the very bottom of the screen, it's when the, the Demone are, are uh, shielding Rand. It's like, oh, hey, the figurehead's got three eyes on it. So those are my predictions. I got nothing. Okay. I'm almost tired well, of then. being wrong. <laughs> I say I got nothing, but I believe in the next book, Rand is supposed to make his way to the Stone of Tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a there's a big shiny sword inside that he's supposed to claim. Yep. Are we going to get that? Or are we going to see him heading to the Aiel Wastes? Uh, I we... sure hope they do Kalendor, because that, that is going to be too cool a scene to skip. I agree. I think Kalendor is kind of essential. To well, it, it, No, it is very essential. But then there's been other things which I thought were essential. And <laughs> have been kind of left on the wayside. Yeah, we haven't heard much of the prophecies, so they've never mentioned the Stone of Tear or Kalendor. Nope. Uh, so th we, because of how early they introduced the Aiel in Force, and especially how early we met Avienda. Oh, side note, I did like how when Rand was being healed, which I didn't think he was going to be healed. I thought that, you know, oh, this is where Nynaeve is going to break through her block. But no, it's Elaine who heals him. He looks up and... And, and mm. Elaine just this light around her, so her face is is perfectly lit by um, by the light. He's like, "Who are you? I'm Elaine." <laughs> oh, there we go. Yes, there it is. Um, but I think that we're going to be heading to the Aiel Waste sooner than we thought. Could um, be because they have met the Karakarn. Yeah, and they did. They did call that out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so. Uh, whether that happens in the first few episodes or the second half of the season, who knows? But I think it's coming sooner than later. Well, we shall see. And just a reminder, listeners, just as the Wheel of Time has wrapped up its season, so too has Woolheads. We'll be on hiatus until the beginning of Season 3, and we hope that you'll join us then. And for the last time this season, the light shine on you, and may you shelter in the palm of the Creator's hand. <laughs>